0: Um the reading is from Philippians two nineteen through twenty four. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by the news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. for they only seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send them just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself will come shortly after. This is the word of the Lord. Such a joy. Am I on? Such a joy every week to have you brothers and sisters reciting the text, memorizing it, making it your own. Along with us. Thanks, Haddon. Before we begin, let's start with prayer. Asking this God to fill our hearts with His truth. Heavenly Father, the only reason we can call You Father is because of the blood of Your Son and the power of Your Spirit that dwells in those who put their faith in Him. So I pray that Jesus would become more precious to us. I pray that your spirit would gain more control of our hearts. I pray, God, that you would fill every one of these men and women, boys and girls in this room with your spirit, that Jesus would be their delight and they would see him more clearly in your word and they would experience him more fully through your people. God bless our gathering this morning, and and those who can't be with us this morning, we pray that you would give them rest and refreshment, that soon they would be able to join in the gathering of the saints that brings heaven down to earth as we sing the praises of our risen King Jesus. Amen. Hudson Taylor. You ever heard of Hudson Taylor? Some of you who are into missions may have heard that name. He called himself a Christian at the age of 17, but he felt like somewhat of a wanderer. He didn't really know what to do with his life. He wanted more certainty in his salvation, more purpose and direction to help crowd out all the distracting voices in his life, help him grow in Christ-like holiness. So one night he got down on his knees and he begged God. He prayed God to save him completely and give him such confidence. And God answered almost immediately with a word. One word just stuck in his mind rang throughout his heart. That word was China. He had this irresistible call to serve the Lord in China Everything he did from then on focused his life on preparing to proclaim Christ in China. So much so that he gained a reputation for building the church in China. The first thing he did to prepare himself for this mission was set out to know the scriptures. So he got up early every morning at five o'clock. That's early. Five o'clock every morning to study the Bible And while he did that, he taught himself Hebrew and Greek so he could study in the original languages. He even taught himself Latin just so he could read along with the early commentators. Second, he also trained his body, which was rather weak and frail. He had been told his whole life that he was rather weak and susceptible to illness and he had to stay close to home or he would put himself at great risk. But he was convinced of this call that he had to go to China. So he undertook a vigorous health and exercise routine to strengthen his body so he could be obedient to that call. Finally, he determined to know as much as he could about the Chinese culture. He studied their history, their geography, their customs. He taught himself Chinese by opening a Chinese Bible and an English Bible and just comparing the words until he could understand what he was reading. Incredible. And through this study of China, he realized it would be nearly impossible for an Englishman to set foot in China because of some recent historical tensions between the nations So he thought he would do everything he could to make himself a little more marketable, a little more productive to the Chinese people, so they would let him in. So he determined to become a doctor also. He got a job as an apprentice with a local doctor, learning medicine on the job, and as payment for his work, he got to attend medical school. All of this in a 17-year-old kid. I don't know if you're 17, you don't think you're a kid, but to some of us in the room, you are. But this guy has more maturity than most of us as a 17-year-old. He's so sure of his purpose, so confident in his call that he's eager to set aside everything else, block out all the distractions, all the temptations, even put himself at great risk to make this one thing happen. And only five years later, as a 22-year-old, he stepped off the boat in Shanghai and began his mission to build the church of Jesus Christ in China. Incredible focus to build this singular reputation. Hudson Taylor is much like the young man that we hear about in our text in Philippians 2 today. Timothy was trained well in the scriptures. And when the time was right, he gave up everything, left home to go build the church away from home. And in this text, Paul puts forward Timothy as a model for all of us to emulate. He wants us all to build a reputation for joyful service to the church. Paul said in chapter one, it's far better for all of us to die, to depart and be with Christ. Wouldn't that just be so much better than this life, than this broken world? But here we are still breathing. And so we must dedicate our lives to fruitful gospel labor in building the church. All of us called to build a reputation of joyful service to the church. So far, Paul has been exhorting the church in Philippi to be faithful gospel partners. And he first in chapter one, used his own life as an example to inspire them, become like me, share the same love that I have and grow in joyful gospel partnership. And then at the end of chapter one in verse 27, he begins a transition towards exhortation to the church. Do this, be this way, live in this way. Grow in your joyful gospel partnership by prioritizing a specific lifestyle. Prioritizing kingdom citizenship. Unified service to and with one another. And the primary motivation for this lifestyle is Christ Himself, as we saw in chapter 2, verses 6-11. to Christ, the King of the universe, the God who holds all things together by the word of His power, emptied Himself and became a servant in order to save His people. Trusting that in due time, God would exalt Him, and when He is exalted, He's going to lift up as many people as will trust Him on the way to glory. And so when Paul thinks of this amazing work that Christ did, he thinks of Timothy. One person who comes to mind who has the same love of Christ for his church is Timothy. But before we explore a little more on Timothy, let's reflect a bit on Paul first. We're going to start today with Paul's greatest hope. When we understand what with clarity, what Paul's vision is, then we can understand better what Timothy's faithful imitation looks like. So let's start in verse 19 and reflect on Paul's greatest hope. First, Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. These words from, from Paul are much more than just telling him his travel plans. Hey, I'm going to come to Philippi soon. Timothy's going to pave the way for me. Paul is full of hope. He's not just sharing travel plans. He's sharing his hope. He has hope in the Lord Jesus. He has hope in the gospel. He has hope in the Spirit doing this work. What is hope? It's it's one of those words that we Christians throw around a lot, but it's like grace and faith. We don't really explain it. We, we talk about grace and faith and hope like they're objects. Something that we hold. There's an article I read recently that said, Grace is not a thing. Which was really an intriguing title. And the whole point was that it's not something tangible. It's that you have. Grace is something that describes something else. It means unmerited favor. It means it's an, an undeserved gift. So we don't, when we say we depend on grace... It doesn't make sense to say we depend on an undeserved gift unless we describe what that gift is. And Paul says the gift, the grace, the the thing that we depend on is Jesus himself, is his perfect life, his atoning sacrificial death, his powerful resurrection that defeated death and pouring out his spirit on his people to live like him. That is the grace that we depend on. And so similarly... Faith isn't a thing. Faith is just a word we use to describe our dependence on that gift. And likewise, Paul's use of the word hope. Hope is not just some general optimism. Hope it works out for you. No, to Paul, hope is absolute confidence in the gift of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. Absolute confidence that this gift is going to go to the ends of the earth Through ordinary Spirit-filled people like you, like me, like Timothy. Paul repeats the same confidence in verses 23 and 24. He knows that God is going to make Jesus known in the world. He knows God's going to build his church. And so he wants to send someone like Timothy to enjoy God fulfilling his promises. And share with him that cheer that it is happening just as God promised. He has confidence that as long as he has breath, God is going to use him and his associates and the church to proclaim gospel truth that will gather his people together. But even occasionally, the great apostle Paul needs some encouragement. And so he says the reason he's going to send Timothy is so that I, too, may be cheered by news of you. Paul's in prison. He can't just up and leave and go do the thing he wants to do most of all, to gather with the saints and hear their voices sing to his Savior. So he sends Timothy to give him cheerful news that this is still happening. Even without him there trying to hold them all together, it's the Spirit of God that's holding them together in worship. And what's the good news that he wants to hear? What's the report that's going to come back and cheer him? Remember back in chapter 1, verse 27. He says, whether I come and see you or i am absent and I hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel the thing that would make Paul's heart sing more than anything else is news that the Philippian church is sticking together in unity and joyful gospel partnership. He says the same thing in chapter two, verse two, it will complete his joy. It will maximize his cheer. If the church is of one mind, has the same love, is in full accord and of one mind, to find out that the Philippians are growing in love and service to one another is the thing that will cheer Paul. And why will it make him so happy? Why is it so great that people far away are unified? He says in verses 16 and 17, it would make him proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice in that. He is going to rejoice in prison as long as that means the church is fighting to gather in unity. He is going to be cheered in his own death if it means that others are picking up the mantle and gathering to partner together in gospel service. That will have made all the suffering totally worth it. To see and hear the gospel bearing fruit of love. To know that it's continuing without him. That only confirms in his heart that God keeps his promises. That the spirit is alive. Jesus reigns as king. It makes it worth it. That's why I said to you in the last week. That if you want to help encourage me in my suffering through my bad news. The best thing you can do is gather together and sing, show me that Jesus is on his throne and that he is working in your heart. That will encourage me that he will work in mine too. Paul's greatest joy is seeing the gospel come to life and flourish in others. He's denied every possible pleasure in life in order to gain the pleasure of knowing Christ himself. But there's even more joy to be added onto that. Can you believe that you can add to the joy of your salvation? How? Paul says the only thing that can give him more cheer than knowing he is personally saved. He doesn't just say, I know where I'm going. The only thing that can add to it is knowing that he is saved along with a group of other brothers and sisters who are marching the same direction with him who display Christ in the world in their gathered, unified worship and their joyful partnership. Paul, through this, has built for himself a reputation of joyful service to the church. That's where his joy comes from. And nobody gives him more hope that this this is going to happen, more confidence that the gospel joy is spreading throughout the world, than looking at his young apprentice, Timothy. Look how Highly, Paul speaks of Timothy in these words about the work that God is doing in verses 20 to 22 in Timothy. He's delighting in Timothy's faithful imitation. He says, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not the interests of Jesus Christ. But Timothy, you know timothy's proven worth how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel paul says there's nobody like timothy that he knows timothy is a proven gospel servant which to be honest is a bit confusing to me as i read the bible i'm like who is this timothy guy when i think of paul's faithful partners i think of silas or barnabas maybe apollos he comes up for a little bit he's quite influential but who's this timothy kid Well, let's just back up briefly and take a look at the life of Timothy in Scripture. The first mention of Timothy is in Acts chapter 16. This is where Patrick preached to us to start, to open up, introduce us to the book of Philippians. This is where the church of Philippi is planted. Before Paul traveled to Philippi, he actually stopped in a little town called Lystra and picked up Timothy. Timothy grew up in that region in in Galatia in that little town of Lystra. It's really an unimportant city. It's nothing special. It's out in the middle of nowhere, just off the the beaten path on the the trade route between Europe and the Middle East. There's no but nothing significant about the city or the people that live in it. But in God's providence, years before he joined Paul, Timothy grew up in this town under the faithful instruction of his mom and his grandma learning his Bible. They taught him about the mighty works of God throughout Scripture. They opened the Word and they looked into it and said, look what God does. He is faithful to His people to keep His promises to them. They said, he, God promised the Messiah. Look, turn this page. Messiah's there. Turn the page again. Look at the Messiah. He's coming. He's going to look like this. They train Timothy's heart to look for this coming king. And one day, this guy named Paul comes through town, comes through this region, through the little town of Lystra, and says, the Messiah came. He arrived. I've seen him. He came to Jerusalem, and he lived a perfect life according to the law. He did everything right. He announced himself as the king of Israel, and yet he was crucified by the Romans on a cross. But don't worry, that was on purpose. It was to pay for your sins. You deserve that judgment. But he didn't stay dead. We know the Messiah is going to reign forever. He rose from the dead. And he ascended into heaven, and he's seated at the right hand of God the Father, reigning right now in our lives. And he sent his Holy Spirit to live in us when we trust in him. What exciting news and the people like Timothy and Lois and Eunice who were anticipating that they knew. They knew finally he has come. They put their faith in Jesus. They believed the good news and they were saved. And then Paul left. What do we do now? We don't really know much else what happened to them in Lystra until Paul comes back years later on his second missionary journey. He stops in these churches to check on them and see how they're growing. And as he's checking on the churches, he keeps hearing reports from the local churches. You guys got to get to know this Timothy guy. Timothy, he knows his Bible. He's such a servant. And Paul, as soon as he meets him, says, Lois, Eunice, mom, grandma, can I take him with me? I need a servant like this on my team. And the local church tells him, you go, you send him. You go on mission, Timothy. Well, we don't hear much about Timothy in all of these missions. He doesn't have his own platform to teach like Barnabas or Apollos did. He seems to be just a name among all the other names. But if you search the New Testament for Timothy's name, you'll find out that he was with Paul every single step of the way. It's incredible. His name is listed as often as all the other guys. He's almost in every single one of Paul's letters. Timothy's kind of the silent partner, always by his side through every battle and in every victory. So, what do we learn from Timothy's life and Paul's commendation here of him in Philippians? Timothy's become one of my favorite Bible characters. Connor and I have been studying the books of First and Second Timothy for the last couple of years and it's just so worshipful to find out how God works through this young man. He's not some super apostle who got to walk for three years with Jesus or had a great vision of heaven that blinded him and then he was healed and called to go on mission. He's just an ordinary guy like all of us. He learned about Jesus through his Bible and through someone else who knew Jesus. And he knew that he was called to love the church because he knew his Bible well. He was building a reputation of joyful service to the church. And in doing so, he shows us that what Paul did is possible in every single one of us. Verse 20, he says, I have no one like him. Literally, like him means same-souled. Same minded, the spirit he's saying, the spirit that's work at work in Paul is at work in Timothy. And that spirit is alive in you as well. Just like Paul had deep affection for the church, as we saw in chapter one, it is right for me to feel this way about you all. He says, Timothy is also genuinely concerned for your welfare. That's a really interesting phrase there, the word concerned. It means anxious. It's the same word that's translated in chapter four, verse six, that says, do not be anxious about anything. What's going on here? In one place, Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. And then in another place, he commends Timothy for being anxious about the church. Is this a contradiction? Is Paul confused? Not really. Obviously, he's inspired by the Spirit. We better figure out what's happening here. We, we have lots of words that we use that seem to mean different things. They can be good in one place and bad in another, like fear or pride. There's good kinds of fear, fear the Lord, and bad kinds of fear. There's good kinds of pride, like Paul said in verse 16, and bad kinds of pride. His point is that we shouldn't concern ourselves with anything, anything above this primary concern of building up our brothers and sisters in Christ through joyful gospel service to them. Not just talking about volunteering for some role responsibility on a Sunday morning to the the church organization, but opening up your heart, your life, your gifts, your treasures to serve your brothers and sisters to make their life flourish in Christ. Everything else in your life is secondary. Even eating food, putting clothes on your body, protecting your own health is secondary to a love for the church. I think I'm interpreting Paul correctly here. He's not, I don't think he's making it up. Jesus said the exact same thing in Matthew chapter 6, right? Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink about your body or what you will wear, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. God will provide everything you need not to fulfill your desires and your dreams, but to fulfill His call on your life to bear fruitful gospel, to for fruitful gospel labor in the church. We can't get our priorities backwards Timothy is one guy that Paul says he got it right. He set his sights on Christ and his church. And he's do, in doing so, he found himself people who will care for those basic needs. We don't need to be frightened in anything. Remember chapter 1 verse 28. Because, But we don't like to you think of that word frightened. I don't like to think that I'm a fearful person. So we play word games. We say, well, I'm anxious. Oh, that's not a great word either. I'm concerned. There we go. I'm concerned. Not fearful. Paul uses these words to say, no, you don't even have that option to play word games. He wants us to make sure we understand our primary concern must be building up Christ's church before anything else. Contrast that. Timothy's concern to those in verse twenty-one who seek their own interests, not the those of Jesus Christ. Paul says Timothy's the only one who stuck by him through all of his missionary efforts. Everywhere he went, there's Timothy. But in other places, he lists all kinds of other names—people who abandoned him, who left him to go other directions—and sometimes. These guys left him because they denied Christ. They denied the gospel, but not always. Sometimes it was just, I got other responsibilities, Paul. I got to get home. I got to feed my family. But Timothy, Timothy said, I trust God to take care of those things. I'm going to seek first my joy in Christ through the church. This becomes even more clear. When we compare verse twenty one back in verse to verse four, they're almost parallel verses. Earlier Paul said, Look not only to your own interests, but also those of Jesus Christ. Or to those to others. And then here he says, Look not to your own interests, but those of Jesus Christ. So if you set up the parallel, you can see that the interest of others is equal to the interest of Christ. And what did we see in Christ's life? especially in verses 6-11, to is Christ's interest. He emptied Himself. He became a servant unto death to save His people. And who are His people? What do we call His people? They're called the church. Real, flesh and blood people that we know, that we gather with, that we share our homes with and we encourage with songs and hymns and and words from God and prayer. People that we're going to spend eternity with. Whether you like it or not, you're stuck with me forever. We'll grow in our love for one another. I promise. Well, God promises. It's this love that Paul has for the church that he says is evident in Timothy. You can see how important the relationship of Timothy to local churches was throughout the Bible. He says in Lystra and Iconium, they're the churches that vouched for his readiness for mission. It was the church in Ephesus that came around him and laid hands on him in order to send him out on or to call him as one of their pastors. Paul says in verse 23 and 24 that when he's delayed, he can send Timothy out ahead. This happens quite often. He sent Timothy to Philippi, to Corinth, to Troas, to Thessalonica. Timothy may have spent more time with some of these churches than Paul himself. Because his love for the church is like Paul's. He's like a son with a father in verse 22. In the ancient world, it was typical for a son to become what his father was, to learn his father's trade. And so he would, as a young man, become an apprentice to that father, to take over the family business some way, someday, learning all of the, the details of the family business so that when dad was gone, the son could take over. But as far as we know, Timothy had zero relationship with his earthly father. He's just some Greek guy. That's all we know. It was mom and grandma that poured into him. But then multiple times in the New Testament, Timoth- or Paul tells Timothy, you are my true son in the faith. You're my son. He owns him as his own and trains him up as his apprentice. This emphasis again on the surpassing importance of the spiritual family. It's the spiritual family that breeds lasting joy. And as Paul's son Timothy now is faithfully taking on the spiritual business and serving the church in gospel ministry, Timothy has proven to be like Paul, has shown himself worthy of being put forward as an example. He has proven his worth. And you can think about all the commands that Paul has given to the church. He says, here, be like Timothy. But really, be like Timothy is a way of saying, all these things I have encouraged you to do, I'm now telling you, Timothy models them wonderfully. He, Timothy, even though he was the son of a Roman citizen, having special status, he denied his own interests, his own advantage, gave up his identity as a Roman citizen to build up kingdom citizens as a son of Paul. He's like-minded with Paul, just as Paul commanded in chapter 2, verse 2, to have the same mind as Paul. He put his own life at risk, joining Paul in prison, traveling across land and sea, counting the lives of people in the church more important than his own, as commanded in verse 3. Even verse 22, he's not just like Paul, he's like Jesus. Verse 22 says that he served in the gospel. The same word "servant" is used of Christ in verse seven. When Jesus emptied himself, he became a servant. And Timothy is emptying himself to serve the good of the church, just like our Savior. Timothy is an inspiration to all of us ordinary Christians. To build a reputation for joyful service in the church. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. That walked with the apostle Paul. That served the church through Timothy. Is alive in every one of you who trust in Jesus. Timothy's example gives us a real life picture of Paul's commands. To work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Through gospel service to the church. No matter what you do with your life, let your life, everything in it, overflow towards love for the church. People that Christ died for. Do you want abundant joy in your life? Then experience the joy that overflows from the Spirit-filled people in the church. Do you want to know how to love your neighbor well? Then show them that Jesus is alive, transforming lives in the church. You want to have a great marriage or be successful parents, point your husband, point your wife, lead your children to all surpassing, soul satisfying, joyful service in the church. Do out more satisfaction in your work then train yourself to see your job as an opportunity to build the church. Inviting people to repent and put their faith in Jesus. Seeing your job as an opportunity to gain more, to provide you the means to be financial generous to your church. Do you want to help someone who's suffering? Like Paul said, complete my joy. Bring me Cheer. By unifying in worship and serving one another in the church? Do you need help to overcome temptation to look at porn? Or to fall back into an addiction? Or to spiral into depression? Or to give in to crippling fear and anxiety? God has gifted you. Find that gift and offer it in service to others in the church. If you want to be sent on mission someday, your training ground isn't out there Your training ground is right here. Practice among these people what you want to accomplish among those people. Do you want to have purpose in your life to know that what you do really matters, that it has influence beyond yourself? The only thing, friends, that will last this world into eternity is the church. Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Everything in this world is going to pass away. It will all be gone, burned up. And yet, your brothers and sisters in Christ will live with you forever. Let everything in this life be for the purpose of building them up, of helping them make it there faithfully. Build a reputation for seeking your joy in Christ through the church. Like Hudson Taylor, have that singular focus single-mindedness in your calling that everything in your life is for the purpose of building Christ's church. Whether you stay in this body or you go to be a part of another church or you're sent to start another church elsewhere, like Timothy, all of us are called to be sent to work on our salvation, to prove our calling, and to serve in the gospel by building a joyful reputation of serving the church. Let's pray. Father, I, I'm only so excited about Timothy and so excited about gospel work in the church because I see it and I get to experience it every day, every week because of these faithful brothers and sisters who love Jesus, who open their homes to one another, who teach each other, they train each other, they lift each other up, they care for one another, they provide shelter and food for one another. Not because they are earning some kind of favor with you, but because your favor was poured on them in Christ. And it is just an honor to see a room filled with Timothy-like people who are same-souled as Paul. They have the mind of Christ who emptied himself becoming a servant giving his life for our eternal joy. God, would you fill us more with that spirit to make us give our lives, build a reputation so our coworkers would say, you sure talk about church a lot. You sure seem to talk about Jesus a lot and spend a lot of time with those church people. Amen. What a joy it would be to have that reputation to be known for loving Christ's people. Make that happen for your glory. Amen.